Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. This week we have been reading together out of Joshua 7, and we're going to read two sections of that together now, Joshua 7, verse 10, then down in Joshua 7, verse 20. So if you'd find that on your listening sheet, we're going to read this aloud together. This then is the text for today. So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. May God bless the reading of his word. How does God lose? That was the question that was before them that day, because it sure looks like in this chapter that God loses, or at the very least, the army of God loses. And to that point, Joshua, who has been their leader, is dumbfounded by what has happened. How can God lose? How can the armies of God be defeated? And so Joshua falls down on his face, begging God for an answer. How can this be so? How could the creator of the universe lose to a Canaanite city across the Jordan River? If that is so, if God might lose to any town along the way, then this is all for nothing. Then none of it matters. If God can lose, then we're at a loss. So much so that Joshua breaks down and begins to rip his own clothes off of his body. He falls to the ground in a lament and covers his head in dust because Joshua has put everything into following God. His life and his existence, his leadership has been of the command of God, following the Word of God, 
as best he knew how to do so. Joshua has followed God to the letter, and now God gives him into the hands of the Canaanites. This God, God who had before them, had conquered the Egyptians. God who before them had shown his might over the physical world. He showed his conquering nature over the sea. The Red Sea had split. He, he showed his conquering nature over the Jordan River as they walked through on dry land. God showed them last week in our text. Jericho fell by the hand of God. It was nothing of the Israelite army. The hand of God crushed the walls of Jericho so that they fell flat. But now, the 12,000 people of Ai are too much for him. How could a small Canaanite town be too much for God? The crucifixion is a similar kind of scene. How might it be that a few Roman guards could constrain the Christ, the Son of the living God? In the same way, how could a few nails be too much for him? There are times we can sound like the soldiers. If you are the Messiah, why does this look like a loss? Why are we having to confront death? In our text for this week, in Joshua chapter 7, there's an intimate, intimate moment between God and Joshua. Joshua is lamenting, wallowing in this pain before God. And God reaches down and, and picks Joshua up. Now, this is a way of God to, to reach down to this earth and, and pick those up who are in lament, who know the pain of sin. And he tells him, he says, Joshua, get up and dust yourself off. Because today, you are going to face the truth of this battle. You did not lose, and the army of God did not lose because God had been weakened. This battle was lost because the Israelites, the people of God, are being dismissive of my word. And when you are dismissive of my word, you will be weaker and weaker unto destruction. I have given you a command. I have given you a way forward. And some in your midst have turned their back to it. Or rather, there was one, a specific Israelite who had brought sin into the camp. Achan, who had directly disobeyed the orders of God. Last week we saw this as we came into Jericho. There was a command over the army of Israel to say, when you come into Jericho, you need to know that this battle is the Lord's and victory belongs to God. The victory will be shown as heavens, and all glory and all praise will be given unto God, not the army of Israel. 
everyone will look up, both Israel and the enemies of God, and look up and say, this was the victory of God and God alone. And in that way, you will know no spoils of this war. There will be much spoil in the town of Jericho, but it will not be Israel's. It will be God. And God specifically said, do not take, do not plunder that city. See, God had specifically said this. And and Achan, even after hearing this, and, and even after witnessing the miracle of the fall of Jericho, Achan decided in himself that God didn't mean what he said, that God wouldn't really care if he took something. Nobody is going to notice if there are a few souvenirs missing from a fallen city. So the first thing Achan took was a royal robe, likely of the family of the king of Jericho, if not his own, a garment of incredible value that Achan never would have been able to wear in public, but it stood as a great trophy. And when it came to that, that was difficult enough But as he sinned and as he took, it was easier to take the next thing and the next. So Achan stole some silver and some gold. Now, we know together it's hard to estimate value through the millennia of what something was worth then as it is today. But maybe we could guess something like $50,000. And so Achan imagined that no one would care if he really took these things. It didn't really matter what they were worth. They were of the enemies of God. Then what harm could come if no one knew that he took these things? And so he snuck it all out, and he dug a hole in his family's tent, and he hid it there. You see, in his his mind, it's no, no big deal. Who cares if you steal a little bit of gold from an enemy of God? They didn't deserve that gold. And they have been wiped out by the hand of God in their death. They're not even going to miss it. Why would it matter? Why does it matter if I take a pocket full of gold or a handful of silver? Who really cares? You see, this this is our line. How, do, how does Achan know our line? Or how do we know his line? You see, when, when our flesh is drawn into temptation, that's a kind of thinking that we use to justify our actions. See, our human mind is amazing. We can justify most anything. And if there's something we want, or if there's something we want to do, we can justify it. And justify it in our own mind. It really doesn't matter what it is. We tell ourselves that this won't really matter. That in the grand scheme of things, this misstep will be so small, nobody will even notice. And so we justify our sinful actions based on this perceived impact that we minimize into nothing. It can't be that bad 
if I do what I want to do. Take a little gold. Small enough to be kept in his pocket. No one's ever going to know. You see, when we search through the Scriptures, there are all kinds of places that help us define and describe what sin looks like. To help us see the holiness of God in contrast to the impurity of man. How our actions are in opposition to the ways of God. One of the places that we see that, and one of the most complete places we see that, is Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments, where God lays out how we are to live together, what community looks like on this earth. Exodus 20 begins to, to shape God's holiness and our way forward. You, you, you hear it, you know it. You shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There, there is this sense in the first part that, that we are to love our God with everything that we are. Our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. That there is this affection between us and heaven. And then, then the Ten Commandments, they, they continue on in, in, in our relationship with one another and how we love one another. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. And it expands on those things. God helps us see in His holiness what sin looks like as He describes who we are to be. We see who we aren't. Similarly, in the New Testament, we hear of Jesus talking about the first and greatest commandment, the second is like it. But you also see, in particular in Paul's letters, there are a number of vice lists where he begins to list sins upon sins, sins he's seeing in the church, sins we see in community. And these, these aren't meant to be exhaustive, but they help us to see what sin looks like in our midst, something like Galatians 5. You read the list as it unfolds, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then, then he ends it, things like this. You see, there, there are these examples of where sinfulness reveals itself into our lives or what it looks like when we fall into temptation. There's another, too, in, in church history. There was a time when monks attempted to categorize all the sins in the Bible. And they would use the seven deadly sins as a categorization of that way. Acedia, which is the sloth. It means not caring enough to do what you're supposed to do. You know you're supposed to do it, but your heart doesn't care enough to actually do it. Acedia, envy, anger. Greed, gluttony, lust, and pride. Some in the historic church said you can categorize all sin in these ways. There's some truth to that, maybe not entirely. But the heart of the matter is this. Sin infiltrates our hearts and our lives. 
in all these different variations and evidences of sin that we find in the Scripture. They're a warning that sin is killing us like a malignant tumor from the inside out. And every one of us have behaved as Achan behaved. We condemn him as he's condemned in Joshua 7. But we ourselves are not above that same kind of sin. You see, and every one of us justify it just like he did. But the Word of God remains the same, that when we fall into these traps, we know destruction, and those around us know destruction. And sin causes our lives to decay at an alarming rate. That without God, this is what our lives are. This is what life becomes. Life just devolves into a web of sinfulness and people trying to justify that very same sinfulness. That sin just starts to strangle us. And it takes the life out of us. See, most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, the terrors of our life and the weakness of our spirituality are traced back to our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of those around us. You know, even in the church, when it looks as though God is losing ground, or, or when it seems like God has lost His touch, this, this is not of God. God. God doesn't give up ground. God doesn't miss the mark. When the people are God, of God are lacking, it's because of sin that has infiltrated the body. The grace of God, though, in the story of the New Testament is that there is a hope. You see, by the grace of God, God provides an answer to Joshua. Joshua is in a prayer of lament on the ground, and God picks him up, and God says, I have an answer for you, Joshua. There is a way forward by the grace of God out of this mess. There is a way forward through the sinfulness that is in the camp. So God lays this out before Joshua. They cast lots as if there is this spotlight. And God shines a spotlight down on Israel and it gets narrower. It's, it's on Israel and then it goes down to tribe. And then it goes down to family. And then it goes down to an individual. And God said, the sin is here. And in God's grace... And, and this is one of the works of the Spirit in our lives is, is that sin is revealed and the, the malignant tumor is, is brought to the forefront and God says, this is the problem. This is why you were weak. This is what has brought death into your community. And we know in Joshua 7, 36 people have died because of Achan's sin. And so God lays it out before them, this sin must be dealt with publicly. This has affected our community and the nation of Israel, and it will be dealt with publicly. And in that way, there was death. For Israel to come through on the other side, Achan was executed with his family. 
those things that had been kept in their tent. They were directly punished for their sin by death. And though that can seem difficult to some, we know that the wages of sin is death. Even still today, the wages of sin is death. But out of God's grace, He he gave them a path forward. God leads His people out of their sin and into His holiness. Even in the Old Testament, this was the way. There, There was a way into life. Now, they still knew punishment, and there was death. The consequences of those actions lingered, but there was a remedy from God for the destructive effects of sin. Sin will weaken the body unto death, but God has remedy. Now, for them, in Joshua chapter 7, this was a specific path. Lots were cast. The sin was confronted. There was recompense. And then the death of those that brought sin into the camp. Then when we move forward out of the Old into the New Testament, God has established a new covenant in Jesus Christ, a way forward for the people of God by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus became the remedy that Achan needed. Jesus would die the death that Achan died. You see, by the grace of God, he sent his son to that death for us this very morning. You see, it's important for us, the church, to realize that our sin is just as destructive as Achan's sin was to Israel. The decay that sin brings into our life is the same. Sin limits us. Sin sin drags our life down into a painful malaise. When we ask ourselves why life isn't working, most of the time, it's unconfessed sin. Rarely we'll find a Job kind of incident where it genuinely isn't your own sin. But most of the time, we live with the consequences of unconfessed sin in a heart of secrecy. And it is our destruction. God, though, in His grace, provides us a way forward that by His grace you may be forgiven. By His grace you may know healing. By His grace you can be saved. Our God provides a remedy for the pain and destruction of sin. See, one of the ways that we talk about that in the church is the Roman road. And I want you to to think through that Roman road with me. These are a series of texts in Romans that helps us understand what God has done for us. 
begins in Romans 3.23 in there, which was read earlier, that all of us have sinned. And this is what God does. By the, by the Spirit, God begins to shine that light into our heart into the darkest recesses of our minds to expose sin. And this, this is painful for us, but for healing to happen, the sin must be removed. The, the tumor has to be taken out of the life so that it can be lived to its fullest. And so we admit and we confess, we acknowledge that sin that is rooted into our hearts. And what Romans 5, 8 tells us, is that while we were still sinners, meaning when we were an enemy of God and while we were fighting on the other side, while we were fighting back against God, when we were running away from Him and chasing after sin, while all of that was happening, God had compassion on us and sent His Son to die this death for us so that we could know salvation. Even while we were enemies of God, God made a remedy so that we didn't have to remain in a destructive way, but we could know the way of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What this is, is, is a recognition what happens to us in the church is God begins to open our eyes to the painful reality of sin. And as He opens our eyes to that, we begin to recognize the grace of God flooding from heaven. And it's a recognition of what God has done, the reality that God has revealed in this earth, the new covenant in Jesus Christ is here and it is for you. Receive and recognize that which God has done. And Romans 8, 1 tells us, Therefore, because of what Christ did on the cross, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The children of God are free. You're free from sin. You're free from temptation. It is over. And it was done at the cross. Christ went to die so that you could have life. Christ was the atonement for our sins. He bore death so that you didn't have to. And for that, we celebrate. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the work of the cross and pray that you would make it real and vibrant to us this morning. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.